Hi everyone. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, please keep Romans 1 open there in front of you. Uh, you will have noticed, even it was, as it was just read, uh, we have a weighty passage to look at this morning. Uh, and so we won't be able to say everything that we could say about these words, um, but we will have the time now to dig into it. And then perhaps over morning tea or in your gospel team, your small group during the week, you might continue to reflect on these words. And we might like to get in touch if there's thoughts or questions or concerns you have that rise out of these words. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, please humble us before your word now, even as it declares uh, hard truths to us. And we pray that you would turn our hearts to you and to our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Down the road from our house, there's this really beautiful park. Uh, we take the kids down there all the time. Sometimes I walk around it by myself as well and refresh my mind. Uh, and it looks down into the Bardwell Valley and, and across the golf course there, which is really, really nice and green and beautiful and spacious. Uh, when we first moved in there, we noticed that park and we're like, oh, that's going to be a really nice place to go. But what we didn't notice is if you walk around the edge of the park, this is the view that you get. So just zoom in a little bit more, you can see the entire city of Sydney uh, there on the horizon. And I was just floored. It looks better in person than it does in the photo, uh, let me tell you. I was just floored the first time that I went for a walk, turned the corner and went, whoa, uh, look at that view. Now I see it all the time, so, but it's still great. I still enjoy it. Uh, but I wonder, what do you see when you look at that view? You know, imagine you're on the walk that I go on and you turn that corner and you see the city of Sydney like that. What do you think about? What, what thoughts fill your mind? How does it make you feel? Have a think and then hold on to those ideas because we're going to come back to that later on. For now, we're going to look at Romans. Now that I've transported you to this place of beauty, uh, my local park, I'm going to take you back to this passage in Romans but just remember those thoughts for later, and we'll get into the passage before us now. <clears throat> but before we get to our passage today, do you remember what we've seen in Romans so far? Do you remember Paul? He is eager to get to Rome to see and meet these Roman Christians and to preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Why? Well, remember those wonderful words, the wonderful news we saw in verse 16 and 17 last week. Look at it with me. Now, these summary words in Romans 1, 16 and 17, we see Paul, he's eager to preach the gospel for or because it is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes. It's God's power and in the gospel, God's righteousness is revealed from faith to faith. That is, God gives the gift of righteousness to those who believe, to those who have faith in Jesus. The gospel is good news because God justifies us because of Jesus. He declares us to be righteous when we trust in him. Free from guilt, innocent of sin, this is the wonderful news Paul is eager to share with the Romans. But then in our passage today, Paul goes on to say something we might not expect. After sharing the wonderful news that God's righteousness has been revealed what does Paul say in verse 18? Have a look there. He says straight away, for God's wrath. 
is revealed. God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people. Hang on, Paul. Didn't you just say that God's gift of righteousness is revealed? I thought you had kind of good news to tell us. God's wrath is not good news, Paul. Uh, God's rightful anger at sin, his judgment upon us, that's the opposite of of, of good news. Are you trying to confuse us, Paul? Well, no, he's not trying to confuse us. He's not telling us that bad news is good news. No, at this point in Romans, and actually over the next few chapters, Paul tries to show us exactly why God's righteousness is revealed. Why does God's gift of righteousness need to be revealed? Why do we need saving? Why is the gospel necessary in the first place? Why did Jesus have to come and die? The answer is because God's wrath or wrath is revealed. You can say it either way. I don't think it really matters. His righteous and right anger, his divine displeasure, his hatred against sin and evil, and the punishment that he pours out on it. He's talking about that. And he's saying the gospel, the good news, exists because first, there is bad news. Before I tell you the good news, he says, the gift of righteousness, let me tell you about the bad news, God's wrath. And to show us just how bad the bad news is, just how much we need the good news, he tells us the story of humanity. The story of humanity as a whole, apart from God. It's not an easy story to hear, is it? It's one of the saddest passages in all the Bible, I think. Because the story of evil and why and how God's wrath is revealed. Uh, But here it is in God's word. So we need to hear it and wrestle with it. Paul says the story of humanity is, is God's righteousness revealed because God's wrath has to be revealed. But then why? Why is God's wrath revealed? Why is God angry? What reason does Paul give in this passage? What is it that humans have done to deserve God's wrath? Paul shows us that it's about the sin of idolatry. This is the first part of our passage. We're going to get into the meat of the passage. Read with me from verse 18 again. For God's wrath is revealed against heaven, against all the godlessness and unrighteousness of people, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth, since what can be known about God is evident among them, because God has shown it to them. So why is God's wrath revealed? God's wrath is revealed because he's shown himself to humanity. He's made himself and his truth evident. But what has humanity done with that truth, with that knowledge? They've suppressed it. Humanity suppresses the truth of God, Paul says. Now, how does that work? And how has God revealed himself? How has humanity suppressed that? Well, Paul shows us exactly how it works. Look at verse 20 with me. Paul says, For his God's God's invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. So Paul is saying what we saw in Psalm 19 just a few moments ago. He's saying that God reveals his glory and his nature through the creation he has made. When we look at the world that God has made, when we look at the stars and the sun and the moon, 
when we see the trees and the fields and the mountains and the seas, when we see the creatures and the animals and the people of the world, when we enjoy all the good things that are on offer in this world, we should see clearly God's invisible attributes. We should see and know that there is a God and that his power is eternal. His divine glory is to be known. See, God reveals something of his power and glory through all the things that he has made. And so God reveals his truth, but humanity does what? Suppresses that truth. How does that work? Well, Paul shows us even more in verse 21. He says, For though they knew God, he revealed himself in creation. They did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became nonsense, and the senseless minds were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Paul shows us here the heart of sin. The heart of sin is not to glorify the glorious God. It's not to thank the maker and giver of all things. And it's instead to give that glory and thanks and worship to something else, to something created rather than the creator. And this is Paul showing us the origin of pagan idolatry, the origin of man-made religion. What have all humans done across all times and all places? They've looked at the world around them and they've concluded that there must be gods, a god. But then they've made them up. And they've carved them out of images. They've made them out of wood and stone. And they've built temples to them. They've come up with Baal and Zeus and Shiva and Allah. And thousands upon thousands of gods who are not the one true God. Some have said there is no God, there is no spirit world, only what's physical, but then they still make an idol of the things of this world. They still trust in science or humanity or themselves and glorify their experiences and pleasures. Humanity as a whole has done and still do what verse 25 does. Look at the end. Look at verse 25. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And worshipped and served something created instead of the creator who is forever praised. Amen. That's what makes this passage so sad. Uh, humanity has, has committed this great injustice. God is not rightly glorified. The one who is praised forever is not praised by humanity. Left to our own devices, we don't thank God. We don't glorify him for what he has made. We don't worship him and serve him. Just, just think about it. The greatest being who has ever existed, God, full of goodness and power and justice and love, he's cast aside. He's traded for things that are not powerful or eternal or loving or just. The creator is swapped for the creation. God is not glorified, he is ignored, and he's replaced. Paul's showing us 
that this is just ridiculous. He's showing us just how ridiculous, just how awful this is. And it is ridiculous when you take the time to stop and think about it. Imagine this for a moment. Imagine you go out for a re- to a restaurant and you order a delicious meal. Just imagine, let's say it's Ken Sushi up at Bexley North. Anyone else love Ken Sushi here? If you don't, you will as soon as you eat it. Uh, imagine you sit down at Ken's Sushi for a delicious meal. Uh, you put in your order and you, you wait eagerly. And when it comes out, it's steaming and it's fresh and it smells amazing. You take your fork or your chopsticks, actually, and you lift the tasty morsels. I'm actually hungry right now. You, you lift the tasty morsels to your mouth and you, you eat your meal, enjoying each mouthful. And then when you've finished and you're full and you're glad, there's just a little bit left on your plate still. You, you can't eat it. There's not enough room in your tummy. Uh, but instead of getting up and then going to the kitchen and thanking the chef for your meal, I mean, instead of doing that, you, you lean over the leftover food and you whisper, thank you, sushi. <laughs> and then you pull out your wallet or you pull out your phone and you don't go and pay the waiter. You pay the food on your plate. You kind of just smush the money into the food on the plate. That's ridiculous, isn't it? Shouldn't your thanks, shouldn't your money go to the people who made, who prepared the food, not to the meal itself? That's ridiculous. Unfortunately, that's not ridiculous. Because that's what humanity does to God. That's the story of humanity. It's what you and I and every person who has ever lived has done. We've paid homage to our meal instead of the person who made the meal. We've worshipped and created and thanked created things rather than the creator. And so what does that mean for humanity? Look at the end of verse 20. As a result, people are without excuse. It's actually the scariest verse in this chapter. People are under God's wrath. Humanity has exchanged God for lies, and so they deserve his righteous judgment. There's no way out. This is really important because some people misinterpret Paul here. Paul is not saying that if you look at the sun and the stars and the mountains and all the things that God has made, that that can save us. That if someone who's never heard about the God of the Bible looks at creation and then cries out to some God out there that God will save them, he's actually saying the very opposite. Paul is saying that God has revealed enough of himself that through his creation, no one can, he's revealed himself through his creation so that no one can make the excuse, I didn't know what I was doing as I made idols, as I worshipped creation. Humanity as a whole has seen what God has revealed in in the world, but then ignored him and made their own gods. So no one is excused from God's wrath. Looking at the sun, the stars, the mountains, the sea, it condemns us, because we don't glorify God as a result. We make idols instead. We need God to speak to save us. That was in Psalm 19 as well. Did you see it? We need the word of God. We need the gospel to break through our spiritual blindness and show us that we've been suppressing the truth. The story of humanity is that on our own, 
God's wrath is revealed on all our sin of idolatry. We are without excuse. And that's why God's wrath is revealed. But did you notice, so, so far, Paul, he actually hasn't said how God's wrath has been revealed. He hasn't told us what it looks like. But now he does in the second half of our passage. And again, it's, it's surprising and it's really confronting. He shows us God's wrath is, punish, is the punishment of depravity. Now, I've realized that the heading I've given you could actually be a bit misleading. Uh, Let me try and explain it. This part of the passage, it's not about God punishing the depravity of humanity. It's not about God punishing people for all their different ways of sinning against him. Other parts of scripture talk about that. That's not here. No, instead, Paul talks about punishing humanity with depravity. God's wrath is shown throughout history and today. How? In letting people and allowing humanity to be evil and to be depraved. So have a look at how Paul puts it in a few verses. Look at verse 24. It says, Therefore, that, that is because people have suppressed the truth and turned to idolatry, therefore God delivered them over. It's God who does it. God delivers them over in the cravings of their hearts to sexual impurity. Or look at verse 26. This is why God delivered them over to degrading passions. And verse 28, because God not think it did not think because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a worthless mind to do what is morally wrong. You see what's happening here. Paul is not saying that God's wrath is sickness or suffering or death. Can God judge people with those things? Yes, if he sees fit, when he sees fit. But that's not what Paul is talking about in this chapter. What wrath, what judgment does God deliver over, deliver humanity over to? Craving sexual impurity, degrading passions, worthless minds to do things they shouldn't do. God delivers people over to their sin. He says, you can do what you want to do and you can bear the consequences. Let your evil actions and desires take you over and you will bear the penalty of suffering in light of it. It's like the dad who finds his son smoking. This is maybe a previous generation of dads. Uh, the dad who finds his son smoking a cigarette. And so the punishment he puts on his son is to smoke the whole pack. One by one, the boy, he puffs away each cigarette. He's feeling sicker and sicker until they're gone and all he feels is regret. See, we sin by worshipping idols, so God lets us live the full life of sin. He lets us smoke the whole pack. Instead of living the joyful life that God has designed for us, he lets us suffer in the pain and consequences of our choices. That's his wrath. That's the story of humanity. We rebel against God. He allows us to suffer in sin and depravity. Yes, at times God will strike down a sinner. We've seen that with Ananias and Sapphira recently in Acts, haven't we? Yes, Jesus will return and he will bring a final day of wrath the final judgment of hell. But on the way, God's judgment is enacted in handing humanity over to these awful consequences of sin. 
and to distorted thinking and corrupted living. And Paul gives us, again, two kind of confronting examples of this. The first, uh, Paul speaks about the hard topic of sexual impurity. I said before, we can't say everything that we could say on these verses, but let's just explore some of what he says here. Paul shows us in verse 24, if you look there, that God hands humanity over to the cravings of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded. Paul says that pursuing and seeking uh, sexual arousal and pleasure, that, that engaging in thoughts and actions for sexual arousal and pleasure, that's outside of a one-man, one-woman marriage uh, with, with someone or something that's not your spouse, that's sexual impurity. And it degrades and dishonors your body. It's a distortion of God's good design. And Paul, he then goes on to point out another uh, clear example in the, the example of homosexual sin. People try to work around these words. They're not popular truths. But if we look at uh, over verses 26 and 27 now, we can see what the scriptures clearly say about homosexual sex. Just look what it says about it. Verse 26, it's degrading. He says it's unnatural. Uh, that is, it's not according to God's design and God's intention. Uh, it's universal. He says there, both female homosexual sex and, verse 27, male homosexual sex is included. There is no form of good or right homosexual intimacy. Verse 27, Paul says that it's shameful, uh, it's an error, uh, that those who engage in it receive the due penalty. And I think what he's saying there, he's talking about the degrading and dishonoring of their body, like he said just before. Their bodies are defiled by their actions. They're hard words, aren't they? They're unpopular words, but they are true words. Now, if any of that, any uh, of that uh, just discussing of that issue of sexual sin, if any of that is a struggle for you, welcome to the club, first of all. Uh, who of us is not guilty before God when it comes to sex? And lust. That's the point Paul's making. When it comes to sex, humanity as a whole is distorted. We desire and we seek and we do things that are against God's design for it. But Paul says elsewhere, if that's your struggle, Paul says elsewhere that if you have come to Christ, that is what you were. It is not who he has washed you clean to be. And so like any other sin... Take it to the Lord in prayer. Seek his forgiveness and grace, one for you at the cross. Jesus died for that sin. Know his forgiveness, then flee sexual immorality. Run from it with the Spirit's help. And I should say, it's, it's often difficult, near impossible, to deal with the struggles of sexual sin alone. So brothers, ask a brother for help and for prayer. Sisters, Ask a sister for help and for prayer. And there are many resources out there. If you want to get in touch and think about these things more, please do. Uh, if you're distressed by any of this, you can always talk to myself or to Phil or to Avril or any other team members about this. We regularly speak and pray with people about these things. Remember Paul's point. 
God's wrath is revealed against humanity and he hands them over to all these distorted desires. But it's worth noting, it's not, Paul, it's not like Paul is just obsessed with the sexual side of things. Because the second example of God's wrath is revealed in verse 28. Have a look there. It says, And because they, humanity, did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a worthless mind to do what is morally wrong. And if you just look over the next few verses, you'll see the many and varied ways that humanity has come up with to sin. Unrighteousness, evil, greed, wickedness, envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. This is the story of humanity. We have plunged ourselves into all kinds of sin. God has allowed it as part of the punishment for turning away from him, for exchanging his truth for a lie. This is what we experience. This is the world we live in. This is the humanity we are a part of. And all you have to do is, is flick on the news or walk down the street or talk to another human being. And you will find these things to be true. So what do we do with that? That's the end of our passage for today. Uh, and it's not until chapter 3 that we get to the good news in the book of Romans. We will get there. But what's the response to the story of humanity here? Here's some final thoughts and encouragements. Number one, never forget the story of humanity. Never forget that this is the world that we live in. This is the humanity we are a part of. That God's wrath is revealed against all unrighteousness as God, as God hands people over to their sin and depravity. At the beginning, I showed you this picture. And I asked you, what do you think of when you see the city of Sydney like this? I'll tell you what I think. I think, wow, it's really beautiful. I love living in Sydney. There's good food like Ken's Sushi. Uh, there's lots to enjoy, and I'm glad, and I thank God. But that's not all I think. I also think there's a city of great idolatry. There are tall monuments uh, that are not made in the honor of God. I think there's a city of great pride, of great sin. There's a place where millions suppress the truth of God and exchange him for lies. I see a place where God the creator is not acknowledged, worshipped or glorified or thanked. A place where God's wrath has to be revealed. A place where there's senseless minds and just countless degrading sins that happen every day and every hour. My walks in the park are a mix of joy and sorrow because every time I go, I see the city of Sydney in all its lostness, and I mourn. Yes, God blesses us with countless good things in this world, but remember, the world is not as lovely and rosy and nice as people say it is, or as we are tempted to believe it is. Life is not pretty in this fallen, broken world and amongst this sinful humanity we're a part of. 
Never forget that story. Because if you do, you will forget God and you will live out the same story. Worshipping idols and plunging into sin and God's wrath. Never forget this story because then, if you remember, you will hold on to therefore the only way out. This leads us to our second response. What is the way out of the story of humanity? It's the gospel. The only way out is to hear the gospel and then to do the opposite of what this passage is saying. This is what we've seen and will see in the book of Romans. It's to hear the good news of Jesus concerning God's Son. Uh, It's to hear the gospel, God's power for salvation out of this to everyone who believes. It's to hear the gospel of God's righteousness revealed and to respond with faith. You know, it makes me think of the passage in the New Testament where this happened and then the opposite of Romans 1 happened. Uh, Here in Romans 1, people exchange the truth of God for idols, but listen to what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 1. Paul preached the good news of Jesus to them, and what did they do? You turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. This is how God is at work in the world. The gospel of Jesus reverses the story of humanity. It breaks into our dark world and it pulls us out. Hold on to the gospel. Keep trusting Jesus. He's the only way out. Remember this story. Hold on to the way out. And last, three. Plead with others to do the same. Isn't this why Paul is not ashamed of the gospel? It is God's power to save sinners, idolaters like us. It's God's power to change the story of humanity from one of idolatry and wrath and depravity to salvation and righteousness and glory. If this is the story of humanity, then tell the story of God's solution to humanity the gospel of Jesus, the Son of God, the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, the gift of God's righteousness from faith to faith. Don't these words, doesn't this sad story of humanity then fuel us, inspire us, motivate us to bring this gospel of God's grace to our world in desperate need? Let's pray. Our gracious Father, as we see the sin of the world and the sin of our own hearts, we mourn. As we see that you are not glorified as you deserve, we are saddened, confronted and challenged. Father, please build in us repentant hearts that turn from idols to you, the living and true God, through Jesus and through the message of his gospel. And Father, please... Help us to reach out to others with the same news, to save them from this same darkness and wrath. And we pray in Jesus' name for these things. Amen.